From Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, this is Crosswalk. With this week's message, here's Steve Pierce. Well, it's great to be here, and um, I want to get right down to sharing God's Word with you. Um, And it's from a passage uh, that's in John chapter 7, verse 53. John 7, 53. So if you have a Bible with you, I've been thinking a lot about this Bible stuff lately. You know, I know a lot of people bring these wussy phone things. Nah, nah. Get the real thing, man. Get the paper, man. Get the stuff that you can turn the pages. That's just me, and I'm an old guy anyway. So uh, John 7, uh, from verse 53, um, is going to be the text. So we're going to read that. I'm going to read it to you. Jesus went, each went to his own home. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered round him and he sat down to teach them. (laughs) The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and then said to Jesus, Teacher, in Greek it says, Rabbi. Because they knew who he was and they were elevating his position to what he said he was. He was a teacher, a rabbi, someone worthy of respect, someone who could interpret the law. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Well, they were using the question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. And because older people have more sense than younger people, the older people went first. That's just my interpretation of that. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman standing, still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked a woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared. Isn't that a great passage of Scripture? What about the next bit? That's the stuff I wish Jesus didn't say. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about things you regret that you've said? Let's see a hand. You've you, Okay! Right, yeah, but Pastor, we preachers... We have to say yes to that. (laughs) But you know, we all regret things that we said. And I was just, I've been thinking about this for months now. And I just think that in the Bible, there are a whole lot of things that Jesus, I wish he didn't say that. Man, I re go and sin no more? Come on, seriously? Anybody here can go and sin no more? It's an impossible standard. And so, 
If I were preaching on a regular basis, not a hint, I would preach in this series of messages on things I wish Jesus had never said. Because there's a whole lot of them. If you are blessed like I am, to mostly say the wrong thing at the most inappropriate time, man, I go into a room mouth first. Don't say amen to that either. You'll understand where I'm going with this message. I was looking for some good examples of inappropriate things that people say. But you know what? It's mostly Hollywood types and politicians. You know, they say the inappropriate things. So I just don't want to fool with that stuff. They bore me. Surprisingly, I find the Bible contains a number of things that we could do without. Hmm. Jonah, Elijah, Jeremiah, and Job all asked God if they could die. I can do without that. I mean, I can do without that. I wish they'd never said that. I was reading the Gospels and the red letters, the ones that Jesus spoke. All the things that Jesus said, and I kind of winced at some of them. I wish he'd never said that. He tells us to hate our family. In Luke 14, 25. Man, Linda's got some quirky family. I don't hate them. I just don't invite them for Christmas dinner. <laughs> if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be his, my disciple. Hey, I want to be Jesus' disciple. But I don't want to hate my mom and dad and my brother... My sisters, maybe that's a different, I have to think twice about that. Also, he says, hey, listen, Mark 9, 47. If your eye distracts you from God, I wish he didn't say this. Pull it out and throw it away. You're better off one-eyed and alive than exercising your 20-20 vision from the inside of hell. It's crazy. I wish the Bible didn't say that. Love your neighbor. Uh, Matthew 22, there's a second set alongside it. Love others as you love yourself. Listen, I have issues with my neighbor. His dog poops in my yard and he doesn't clean it up all the time. I'm not even going to talk about blessed are you when you are poor. Oh man, I'm really blessed. You're blessed when you're persecuted? Being a servant? Hey, what about... Crucify yourself. Man, is that something that I wish Jesus didn't say? F.F. F. Bruce, one of the eminent New Testament scholars, calls these the hard sayings of Jesus. Because they are. They're hard to understand. They're hard to, to, to under, understand, get a grip of, and put them into practice. And so today I want to just... Look at this text, a problematic text. And I want to, just for a very short while, if the Holy Spirit enables me, just to speak about the thing I wish Jesus had never said. I've done it. From the response earlier, you've done it. When I asked Linda's mom and dad, and I wish you'd known them, they are the nicest people in the whole world. I asked Linda's mom and dad, Ever, ever since I started dating her, 
I decided that I would always dress them as sir and ma'am. Because I checked this, this babe out, man. I said, man, this is the girl for me. I'm telling you, man, this is the The tattoos never bothered me. So now comes the big day. I'm going to ask. I go into the backyard there, and I said, Sir and ma'am, can I please marry your daughter? Her mother, without even skipping a beat, said no. I wish she'd never said that. Her dad said, shut up. And so we decided we were going to elope to Swaziland and get married in the African tradition. We never did. I have many people who say to me, it doesn't matter what you believe or what you call God. You're still going to get to heaven if God is called Allah or Krishna or Vishnu. Vishnu. It doesn't matter. All, I had something where I worked. said, all roads lead to Rome. Man, I wish John 14, 6 wasn't in the Bible. I am the way. I am the way. I am the way. Ego, I me in Greek. Ego, I, I am the way. There's no other way. Muhammad and all these other false gods are exactly that, false gods. It's only Jesus. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Matthew 12, 30. He who is not with me is against me. If you're not with this program, you are against this program. I guess it would have been a lot easier for a whole lot of people if that weren't in the Bible. And so, hey, I don't feel blessed when I'm persecuted. My neighbor, I told you about him. I like my eyes just the way they are. And except for the few weirdos in Linda's family, the ones that are just got out of jail, we're okay. So let's have a look at the context of this. You know, he says to, he says to this woman, go and sin no more. Let's look at the context, a woman. Let's jump in at the deep end. Most, now listen carefully here now, most reputable Bible scholars, and even in your Bible, if you have an NIV, it's going to say this passage does not appear in the original text. Dude, what do you do with that? It's not something that John wrote. Probably it's not. But it's, and its presence was not found in the thousands of manuscripts that we have supporting the New Testament. John 7 and the beginning of 8 is not found until the 5th century. Listen, we didn't have Bibles until Gutenberg in Tyndale. Gutenberg mostly invented movable type in the 1500s. Yeah, in the 1500s. We didn't have Bibles uh, um, like we know today. Everything was handwritten. And there were strict conditions to the, the Bible being copied. There were such strict conditions. In ancient times, in, in, in the Jewish tradition, when they copied the Old Testament, whenever uh, a scribe would come to the name of Jehovah or Yahweh, he would stop. He would break his pen. He would go and wash his hands and put on new clothes. And then he would come back and sit down and write the name of God because it was so holy. And so we have this 
awesome transmission of documents and at the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1948, it proved that there weren't any significant differences, anything that affects theology in the Scriptures. In the New Testament times, these monks in the monastery, they were copying down the, the Bible. We have what, what we call rubricators, and they, they did all that illustrative work, uh, like the first word in gold and red letters, but they weren't allowed to talk. And so, if they wanted to communicate with one another, they would write to one another. But they would write in the margin of the text that they were copying. Hey man, it's cold in here. Brother Andrew sure stinks. I hope he's going to bath tomorrow. And you know, some of those silly things got copied eventually when that was copied. That got put into the text. All kinds of weird things happened. All kinds of strange stuff. Well, we have this text now. It's John Chapter 7 and, and verse 8. What do I do with it? I believe that this text is profitable for our lives. I believe that it was put into the early canon of Scripture because it sounds like something Jesus would do. It sounds like this is how he would get up the nose of the scribes and Pharisees. Man, it sounds like, like Jesus and the early church thought so too. The story is simple. It's an obvious attempt by scribes and Pharisees to corner Jesus, to set a trap. They present him with a woman caught in the act of adultery. Teacher, Rabboni, they were elevating Jesus to one who ought to know the law. It was a blatant test. This woman is going to be killed, or Jesus would transgress the Jewish law. Don't you? You're a rabbi. Don't you believe in the law? We've had this law for centuries now. They knew the law found in Deuteronomy 22, 22. I don't know if we have that. And Leviticus 20, 10. Okay, we don't have that. That's okay. Basically, the law says this. Caught in adultery, you both die. But, guys, there's something fishy here. Where was the man? Where was the man? Caught in adultery, the law clearly states, both are to be brought and both are to be stoned to death. Where is the man? You see, the simple thing here is they don't love the law. They hate Jesus. They hate Jesus. Now, many years ago, when I, uh, I was a young Christian, we had, our, we had the Scriptures, but we also had this unwritten law. Remember, you had to wear a tie in church. Woman couldn't wear pants. She ought to keep uh, seated and keep quiet in church. You did not speak up. A woman was not uh, allowed to teach over a man, not, not in a sun, Sunday school class. A woman could go to the mission field and die for Jesus, but God helped them if they stood in the Baptist pulpit. We had these laws, and I just hated that. And so these scribes and Pharisees point to the law. 
But there's something here in this text, and that's why it burned upon my heart to share it with you. There's something here that is world-changing and life-changing. Jesus is breaking from tradition. Did he know the law? He gave the law. And now he breaks from the old law of righteousness and justice. And listen to this. He lays down a new foundation, a foundation of grace. He knows the law of righteousness and justice. Bring the woman here. Bring the man here. Stone them to death. No, there's a new law. And it's built on the foundation of grace. And that's why if you have given your life to Jesus, and I mean seriously, if you have prayed the prayer and said, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus died on the cross to forgive my sin. I put my faith and trust in Him alone. And I promise through baptism to walk in newness of life with Him. Then you've got it. What's happening here is that Jesus is putting himself over the law of Moses. He challenges it and he changes it. And on top of that, he reestablishes righteousness. We are righteous today because of grace. And so here's the deal. Brother, when you were saved, God said, you are holy. I'm looking at a holy man right here sitting here. Now, brother, go and become what you already are. That's what it is. You are holy. You're saved by the blood of Christ. Now go and become the holy man or woman that God saved you to be. New righteousness. New justice. And most people don't get that. And there's, you know, there's an old, it came to my mind this morning, as, and I'm not going to sing it, uh, but there's an old chorus. You know, I grew up in the, in the 70s. Uh, uh, and we sung choruses then. Uh, and there was one that said, I don't know why Jesus loved me or that he even cared. With a love so strong, it's hard to understand. That's why I keep on making payments on what's been fully paid. That's what I'm trying to do. And so many people are today. They keep making payments, hoping to get in God's good books, hoping that good will outweigh the bad. It's a works-based. It'll land you in hell. You keep on trying to pay for. It's been fully paid. And the evidence is right here, right now. That I'm changing. It's a new paradigm. It's not the law anymore. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. Oh, man. This is not what you scribes and Pharisees want, is it? You want to get rid of me. You see, all over the gospel, Jesus changes the way things work. When, woman, when Jesus sat by a woman at a well in Samaria, it was the first break women ever got. When he sat down 
and told her about salvation and freedom. Told her all that she needed to know and more. All over the Gospels, Jesus changes the way, think, the way things work. Matthew 9.31, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. John 7.23, you mean I can't heal a man on a Sabbath? What a lot of crock. Of course I can heal a man on the Sabbath. I am Jesus and I operate on grace, not the law. And so this most wonderful thing happens. Jesus forgives her. Not because adultery doesn't matter. Adultery does matter. But rather, I am reestablishing your holy life. I am building it again on a new foundation and I call it grace. I'm not lessening the command. I'm putting it on a new foundation. No more the law. And you know what? We are experts at giving people the law. You shouldn't do that. Christians are not supposed to say that. You shouldn't be like that. shouldn't act like that. When what we should be doing is we should be sharing God's grace with them. So there's some cool stuff in in this story. That was my heading. Cool stuff in the story. Okay. This is the only account in the Bible that Jesus wrote anything. He stooped down and writes with his finger in the dust. Okay. Any theories about that? Come on. This is going to be a classroom now. Anything, what did he write? Anybody like to take a guess? I mean, you've read the story a thousand times. You must have got some opinion. What did he write in the dust? Some of the commentators, by the way, say he wrote in the dust because he needed time to think. Because, it, you know, it, he needed a bit of time. He had a time out. <laughs> Maybe he drew Snoopy. <laughs> what did he write? Any, any theories? What did he write in the dust? Great. <laughs> hey, that's my son, man. Hey, woo, woo, woo. We're the man. We're the man. Hey, man, wait a man. Yeah, I love that. David, you're the bomb. Thank you, boy. Wait a man. Well, grace. Some people think he wrote the law down, the Ten Commandments, which you can do in one word in Hebrew. Some people think he wrote down her sin, adultery. He wanted, uh, scholars have thought about this. He wanted some time to think through his response. He wanted them to repeat the charges to make sure. He was embarrassed by the situation and momentarily confused. He wrote down the law to elevate the seriousness of the accusation. But this is interesting. In the original language, in the Greek, the word for write is the word grapho. Now you all know graphic, a graphic artist. Grapho means to write. But the word that John uses here mean it was calligrapho. And it means to write down an accusation. Somebody says, you didn't clean up your room. Hang on, I'm just going to write that down. I didn't clean my room. It means to write down an accusation. So that might point to the fact that he was writing down the accusation against her in the ground. She could see it. The others couldn't. Perhaps he wrote the word adultery. The word calligrapho means to write an accusation against someone. I don't know about you, but I can see those accusers. (laughs) 
standing there, arms folded, looking down their noses, tapping their feet, their rocks in their throwing hand, waiting. We have him now. He'll never get out of here. And the Bible tells us they continue questioning him, questioning him. And Jesus continues writing. You see, any discussion is going to be on his terms. Not theirs. I learned this a long time ago. When I come to Jesus, I come on his terms. He, (laughs) I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. He ain't coming to your party, bro. You come into his party. That's what it's about. And so Jesus' reply, okay, stone her. Not in a loud voice, mind you, but with authority. Stone her. But let the one among you who is without sin throw the first stone. And now he's writing again. One by one, the eldest first, they understand. The trap recoils against them. Perhaps memories of their own failure. Perhaps memories of Salome who danced before Herod. Jezebel. Now there's a vacuum. It's just Jesus and the woman. Woman, where are they? Imagine the woman's about to be stoned to death. She feels shame and remorse. She feels betrayed. But there's no accuser now. Who's left? No one, sir. Neither do I condemn you. It's like a slap in the face. It releases her guilt. She's free. And I wish that were the end of the story. Because now, the thing I wish Jesus had never said, go and sin no more. No, 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 I can't do that. Don't say that. Here's my translation of the latter part of this this story. I am not for the moment going to pass judgment on you, woman. Go, make a new start, and don't sin anymore. You know, we'll never know the effect of that upon this woman's life. Did she sin again? Probably. Because we all do. Jesus offers her a new chance. Leave your life of sin and build a new life, a life on grace. And I've been in this church long enough to know that almost every Sunday we sit here, our pastor explains the way of salvation and provides for us the offer of a new life through the way of grace. Some take it. Many don't. I wish the story had ended with neither do I condemn you. That would be kind of a wonderful, benevolent God, kind of like a heavenly father Christmas. Stop here. But there's a life to live. It would have been much better if Jesus had said, listen, go and enter rehab. Go and work on your problem. Go and pray about it. Go and try harder. But go and sin no more. It scares me because it, because it pushes me in the direction of righteousness. It urges me to a life of holiness. 
It implies accountability. And it implies that I must look for a new foundation for my life. I love you. Now go and love others. I forgive you. Now go and forgive others. I accept you. Now go and accept others. Listen. Conventional wisdom says condemnation and judgment and punishment causes others to change. That's the foundation of the law. Go and sin no more means I need a force that's bigger than my problem to sustain me. I need grace. So what? This is the last bit. So what? Before you decide to go out there and sin no more, before you venture toward a life of not sinning, you must first experience grace. Because if you have not experienced God's saving grace, you cannot do that. You cannot go and live that life that has victory over sin. You, you have to experience saving grace first. That's the entry ticket. That's the start. That's the press go button. Many people think they have. Many people hope they have and pray they have. Man, if you have, you will know you have. To try and not sin without grace? That's to try and... That's the Oprah gospel. Yeah, man. Tell you where that's going to land you. Same place going to land poor old Oprah unless she gets it right. Try and sin without grace is to follow a set of rules and it stinks of religion. And my pastor has taught me, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And so I want to share with you one huge truth. That if you get it, it will set you on a course for victory. If you're writing anything down, I notice some of you are. I want to say this to you. Come to Jesus for grace and set your face to sin no more. Come to Jesus for grace and set your face to sin no more. I am resolved that through the power of God's Spirit, through the presence of God in my life, to set my face to sin no more. I've experienced your saving grace. Maybe there's a lot of water that's flown under the bridge. Maybe it's time for a rededication of your life to Him. Maybe it's time to take another step in the direction of growing to be more like Him. Maybe sin has just become so big that you just, you're not coping with it anymore. Remember, it's not the law. What the Lord does for us now is it convicts us of sin. We know we have sinned, but we cannot go to the law for forgiveness and grace. We go to Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me and your eyes closed, please? What I'd like us to do, uh, what I'd like us to do this morning is if you believe that God has spoken to you today, if you believe that, you know, maybe I'm not getting this quite right, 
I, I'm not getting it right. I just, I'm trying to obey. I'm trying to do the right thing. Stop trying, man, and trusting God and His grace. Jesus offered that adulterous woman forgiveness. She didn't deserve that. The law said she deserved to be stoned. So did the man. But Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Set your sights on not sinning. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere and celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person. Real people who truly care. Solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens. And the most energetic, safe, and fun kids program around. Find out more at crossculturelife.org. I want you to the cross. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.